0: Hey, it's producer Michael Miracle here with a quick word of thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. It's folks like you who make this workplace movement work. That's why we strive to highlight great authors and experts who bring phenomenal insight on how to bring
1: Jesus into your workplace. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and co-workers, and together, we'll make the I Work For Him mission a success. Thanks again for listening. Let's start the podcast.
0: You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Thanks for tuning into I Work For Him today, whether you're listening to his live or- Radio right here in Tampa on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Maybe you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Or perhaps you're getting a chance to listen to us online at Let's Talk iHeartRadio, or maybe Red Nation Rising. However you're hearing the show today, just know that we have prayed, haven't we, Martha? We've prayed uh, for the people listening.
2: Most definitely. It is always our goal that the people, you, listeners, um, here's something that may challenge you or encourage you that what you do is important. It matters to God and how you do it and who you touch it throughout your day is really important to God and, and expanding the kingdom.
0: And, and so we always have fun praying ahead of time. We never know who's going to be listening, but we do know that the Lord's always very intentional with the, Uh, conversations that we have. So here's a question for you. What do you do if your church doesn't have a small group specifically designed for people wanting to connect their faith and work? Well, the short answer is you have a couple possibilities. You could go to a different church, but why leave your body of Christ that you really love being part of? You could ask your pastor to start one. You could ask someone else to start one, or you could start one. Today, we're going to talk with Donna Clute about her adventure of starting a small group at her church right here in Tampa Bay and about in, in a, a small group connecting faith and work. And also, we're going to talk about the first book that they've decided to study within their small group called Business for the Glory of God by Wayne Grudem. Donna Clute, welcome back to I Work for Him.
1: Thank you, Jim. So glad to be here. Hi, Martha. Hi
0: donna is an incredible encourager of martha and i over these last many years in ministry she's always a a smiling face always a pat on the back and it's always fun donna before we get into talking about your adventure and starting this uh, faith and work roundtable at your church why don't you talk about what have you seen the lord do in your life recently as as he continues to mold you into more of his image
1: um, he has just really been um, talking to me a lot about intimacy with him and making sure that I'm connecting with him bright and early every day and really um, taking meat out of that. And so I, I find it hard to stop my quiet time in the morning because of it. And, um, and then seeing him work in our ministry, um, my role is changing things going on in the ministry are changing. Every area of our organization seems poised for growth. And so watching him work out the details and that has just really been a lot of fun.
0: Donna made reference to her, the ministry she's involved in. She's involved in the Ministry of New Life Solutions, which just coming off of their huge Walk for Life event.
1: Donna, what was that event like? It was absolutely amazing. Uh, People from all parts of uh, Tampa Bay coming out and participating, and I myself participated up in Virginia. Uh, I had a in the previous engagement that I had to attend up there, uh, so I actually walked for life in Lynchburg, Virginia that day.
0: So, you mean that event, that that unspecified event in Lynchburg, Virginia, would
1: that have been any significant kind of event? It was my graduation from Liberty
2: University. Woo-hoo! The crowd goes wild. That's right. Yes, Donna we has been working on that. Yes,
0: <laughs> Donna has been working on that four-year degree for a very long time. And congratulations to you, Donna. That was awesome.
1: Thank you. What, what was the degree in? Christian Leadership and Management is a business degree that essentially focuses on nonprofits and church leadership and management.
0: Sounds like something we should go. Maybe we should get another degree.
1: I rebuke you. Okay. <laughs>
2: I, I will live vicariously through Donna and all of what I saw her do for that degree. It was pretty amazing.
0: We can read her textbooks.
2: I'm sure. I'm sure she would let us. <laughs> Actually, Donna tells us all the time what we should be reading. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that'd be nothing new. <laughs> if you ever
0: wonder where I get ideas for books, I've got a couple of people, you know, uh, Ross Harrop was C12. He's always constant. he gets to host the show once a month. He's always given us ideas. And Donna is the other one. And whenever she texts, I'm like, don't text me a book that you haven't read. If you haven't read it, I don't even want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. So what, what do you, you, you got a book you read recently that you think we should be reading?
1: Spiritual Maturity by J. Oswald Saunders.
0: Okay, so Spiritual Maturity by J. Oswald Sanders.
1: So he's the same author of the Spiritual Leadership book that we read, right? Y- yes, he is. And I'm in the process of reading Spiritual Discipleship as well by him. So Very good. It's excellent. Um, it's short reads each section of it, but the application is so deep and so wide um, for a believer. and really expounds on things in a way that often gets missed in our regular um, purview of, wor- of the word.
2: You know, I just had a thought. When we are talking to people about their their growth in a lot of areas, we need to, when we're talking about their budget, they need a book budget. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have a book budget. I'm, you're speechless. I'm just... Look at you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I agree.
2: How else can you do all that? I
0: don't know, I don't know. But, but really, you could read a book like Spiritual Leadership, and if spiritual maturities ain't like it, you do spiritual leadership, they take all year long to read that book because it keeps smacking it upside the head.
2: If you want to read it and really absorb it
1: and apply it to your life, <sighs> is that what you mean? That
0: book Which beat be the 11 daylights right? on me. Yeah. I don't and, know that I finished it yet. In all honesty.
1: And one of the things I really liked about spiritual maturities, the last section of the book, um, so the last seven chapters of it, all dealt with the Holy Spirit and how we're, un, we're not tapped into it. And so if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead what we're doing, if we're not tapping into that power source, we're not living fully as, as, as believers, kind of like trying to run an eight-cylinder car on one cylinder.
0: Yeah, and that would be ridiculous. I've heard people here in Florida trying to run eight-cylinder cars on less than eight <laughs> cylinders, and it's ridiculous. But, you know, it's it's bad. All right, but it is trying to run any kind of job, trying to do any kind of work on our own strength can be accomplished for a little while, but at the end, you end up being exhausted and seeing very little
1: fruit. Exactly. And that's one of the things that um, he emphasizes in his book is if we're not tapping into that, we're eventually going to burn out. It doesn't matter how good the work is that we're doing. If we're not being daily filled, filled up with the spirit and continually plugging into our power source, we're not going to be able to be sustainable in the long run.
0: So, talk to me about your nonprofit work. Okay, you, um, we, we were all involved in a Christian small business roundtable discussion group for a number of years, and the nonprofit world and the for-profit world. A lot of people say, "Well, there's just nothing about them that are alike." Yet, they all take money to run. There's people involved, and anytime there's people involved, there's trouble. No, I'm just kidding. But what what did you see you You are a significant influencer within your organization. What did you see as the connections between helping run a nonprofit that has hundreds of volunteers and dozens of employees compared to your for-profit counterparts that are sitting there in that, in that round table?
1: Now I used to be in the for-profit world. So I've seen both sides of the fence. The only thing that's really different between the two is how you measure the bottom line. And, you know, yes, we have volunteers who are working, but we got to treat volunteers often like we would an employee and if there's a volunteer who's not healthy for the organization, we have to find a way to re- free, their future. Re- free their future and connect them to the right ministry for them, because we might not be the right one. They may have a heart for what we do, but they may not be the right, we might not be the right solution for them. And so, um, you know, and not that we cut too many volunteers, but, you know, the point that, that I make in that is that employees, volunteers, staff, leadership- Accounting, all of that's done the same way. And we we measure our success slightly different. So our bottom line is measured by the number of people we're able to help, but we can't help them if we don't have money in the bank, which means we have to work on the revenue side of things. And we can't um, plan a future if we don't put plans in place on how to grow the ministry. So strategic planning is all a part of it. So everything we do in the nonprofit sector is the same thing you do in the for-profit. You just have to figure out how the how the money's coming in, and <laughs> that's all
2: just a minor, yeah, minor the, thing.
1: And the Lord figures that out. Mm-hmm. You know, he he continually amazes us by his creativity on how he's going to bring money into the um, ministry. And you know, it says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He releases the cattle to us pretty regularly, and and he's paying for the vision that he casts before us.
0: When you look at the impact um, of of new life solutions that you're part of and the, the role that you've got within there. It, it, at times I'm sure it's staggering and other times you're like, wow, we'd like to make a bigger impact. How fun is it to be part of something that God has clearly laid out and and to get to see the success and the results of touching the lives of women who decide to keep their babies.
1: How cool is that? It puts me in awe every story I read of how great and powerful our God is because we can't do this, only he can. Hey, how do I
0: get a small group talking about faith and work started in my church? And we've got somebody that's doing it in her own church. And it's somebody that's very close to us, a friend of ours. And we were in a group together. Martha and I started a group back in September of 2013, I think it was. And we started a group called Business His Way. And we, what we did is we grabbed 10 Christian small business owners, leaders, leaders, and said, let's have a group where we can just feed off each other, study some other people's opinions on this and put things into action. And Donna Klute was one of those people. And Donna, you took that idea and said, hey, I should do this at my own church. Why?
1: Because I think authentic faith connects Sunday to Monday. And our church is about connecting, making that connection. But I wasn't seeing anything actively in our church that said, "Hey, this is how you connect it to business." But I was seeing it, what we did in business his way, and I wanted to um, encourage others to do the same thing.
0: So you, we went about we went about trying to set up a business his way group at your church, and they really wanted it to be not somebody from the outside. They want to be somebody from the inside to get it done, which is totally great. Mm-hmm. So you well, I mean, let's, first of all, let's do a plug for your church. Cause they said, okay, Donna, go ahead and do this. Mm-hmm. What church do you go to here in Tampa
1: Bay? I to a Harborside Christian church in safety Harbor, um, back behind a neighborhood, but it's off McMullen booth road.
0: All right. So how long ago did you start your little round table? That's based on faith and work.
1: We started it in January, 2015 and I'm sorry, 2017. And, uh, What I had, I had a few people commit it originally, and it ended up being one person showing up. So it turned more into a mentor opportunity than it was um, a roundtable. So, what kept
0: you doing it then? You didn't get your roundtable excitement, which I think probably second round, second time around, you may get that excitement. Uh, But people want to just see, hey, what's it about? And it's out of the box. I mean, it's out of the box. You know, there's Sunday school classes and there's, you know, marriage Bible studies, but a study that connects faith and work is just it's a little out uh, it's it's out well, of It's box. new.
2: It's a it's a new way of thinking and um I think people's minds are changing to that, but not necessarily is it in their regular um vocabulary and what they're talking about. So when they're looking at, oh man, could I work on parenting or could I work on connecting my faith at work? You know, you really have to warm them up to that idea. But I love the fact that this has given you an opportunity to to invest in somebody and really see what a difference it can make because the, the testimony can't be refuted. And as people are impacted by it, they're going to tell people.
1: Right. And the lady who participated in the group was somebody who'd gone through Jobs for Life, who you've had on the show yep. before. Yes, we heard. And so yep. she, was, a, she had, was freshly out of the program and she had met me through that. Um, I was a guest at one of their nights. And so when she saw I was leading a group and what it was about, she thought this is something that would be interesting. And so when we got together, it turned into being a really great opportunity to mentor her as she was embarking into a new career for herself and to working for somebody who was going from being a one-man show for many years to now learning how to grow his business. And so she was that first step in helping to grow his business. Mm-hmm. So when
0: you you had that opportunity, you, were you disappointed the more people didn't show up the first time?
1: Disappointed, yes. But Making the decision to continue on really had nothing to do about whether or not I was disappointed. I felt like God called me to do it and he would supply who, who, who he wanted to be there. Um, the numbers to me aren't as much of a factor of success as much of obedience to him. And
0: you may be listening to the show today and going, you know, I'd really like to start a faith and work roundtable Bible study group where people would just we could talk about the practical between connecting Sunday and Monday. And if you ever want to do that, Martha and I have so many resources we can send you through. Many of them are guests been guests on the show, many of them books we've been highlighted, but there are there are so many resources out there, Donna. And I know you had to kind of sift through to figure out which book. Because when you study faith and work, yes, there's a lot of phenomenal scripture passages all I mean, just all over the place. But a lot of times it's somebody's taken that idea and written about, specifically, how do you connect this? How did you choose the book that you decided to go with for your small group?
1: It was actually part of my textbooks from one of my business classes when I was at Liberty. And so I looked at it, and what I liked about it was is that the heart of the message is business is not neutral. You don't look at it and say it's not good, it's not bad. And it definitely isn't bad. People make it bad, but God created business. And so taking a look at that in this book made me feel like that was a good starting point if people can make that connection that business is something that glorifies god and being a business person glorifies god then that's the first step
0: i I thought it was very interesting that that wayne grudem in his book business for the glory of god just kept bringing it up over and over and over again That business is not morally neutral right and there's not there's a lot of people in seminaries and a lot of people from pulpits that would say that's kind of morally neutral you can you could send it in either direction but that's not what Wayne says
1: it's not what he says and if that's how you're going to view business and that's how you have to view life that life is life is not inherently good or bad when I think life was inherently made to be good and so if we take that perspective then we've got to apply that to all areas of our life including church and including family including marriage and I think that becomes a tool that Satan uses to take our eyes off the one who authored business and the one who authored marriage and the one who authored family. So whenever we take our eyes off who created and who instilled the idea, it Satan wins. And so when we say business is neutral, we're giving Satan a foothold.
0: What's amazing is, is, is we try to recognize these things where Satan puts a little twist on on what God intended it. And and Martha, we've, we've seen it. We've interviewed so many people here in these studios trying to get people to just share, okay, here's how the Lord is working in their workplace. Here's the things that are, that are going on. But it, but we have learned through this journey with I work for him that God created work before the fall that he created. He created this for his glory and that it's not a morally neutral thing. He really wants us to be getting out there in the business world, conquering the world and bringing it for his glory.
2: So let me just clarify what you're saying, because I want to make sure people understand that. So what you're saying is these people that have a mentality that business is bad because you're in it for profit. Is that what you're is that what you're talking about, the morally neutral or what? Well, do you... what they're
0: saying is that business is business and it can tilt either way. It can tilt evil for people who take advantage of other people, or it can tilt for good for people that are doing good. And what we're saying is that business was created for good,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that God intentionally created work mm-hmm. for good, okay. just along with what Donna said, right? So marriage and, and all the other things that God created, that it was fundamentally a good thing.
1: Exactly. And as image bearers, everywhere we go, so image bearers of God, let me, let's be clear about that, as image bearers of God, um, everywhere we go, we need to project that image, whether we're the business owner or the husband, the wife, the parent, the child, you know, the grandparent, whatever our role is in life, we're to represent Christ and God in that. We're the image bearer. So in the business world, that doesn't change. That's the connection between what we say we believe on Sunday and what we live out on Monday.
0: So, so does that help, Martha? Yep. It does. Yeah, I didn't, get, I didn't get a chance to throw this book at Martha and say, hey, read this quick before the interview. I just said, you'll have to trust me and go in the interview.
2: <laughs> well, but neither are our listeners. So right. that's that's the fun in my role is I get to go, okay, if you're listening right now and you're not getting it, hopefully I can get it clarified for you. So so really the title, Business for the Glory of God, the book that we're talking about by Wayne Grudem, it could be blank for the glory of God if it were a book about family for the glory of God, marriage for the glory of God. This obviously is focusing on Doing business right. for the glory of God. Well, I mean that's there's what a, we're called to.
0: There's a lot of talk in the media bashing big business, bashing business per se. And and those people in the media are just genuinely ignorant most of the time. They have no idea how the economy even works. But big business any business provides jobs, um, takes uh takes one bucket of resources and transforms it into another bucket of resources it's doing the cultivation that the lord asks us to do and business without business our world would be a disaster if 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 the world was just run by a government nobody would do anything it would look like russia in the 60s 70s 80s and 90s where people could barely get any food for the day and there was nobody doing anything good so it, the government where did they get the money Without business, the government doesn't have any money to do any business because businesses pay people who pay taxes. Businesses pay taxes. It just, people need to understand business is a good thing.
2: Well, we not long ago <laughs> were talking with somebody who was speaking about the fact that because they have a business and they are employing people, they are helping their community because they are truly giving livelihood to all of those families that there is someone employed in in their home. And just even having that perspective, I mean, they may not be selling something that is, you know, uh, uh, has a Christian phrase on it, but that doesn't mean that they're not doing it for God's glory. If they see that what they're doing is helping a family to eat and have shelter and transportation or whatever it might be the
0: impacts are Mm -hmm. huge donna i'm curious when you were going through this book at liberty university for your your four-year degree talk to me about how did they address this that business isn't morally neutral that business is fundamentally good i mean this is a christian university how did they address that
1: well i think this book is really puts the face on that the best and that saying that we are image bearers of god we are created being his image and so if you look at the nine essential parts of business how does that bring glory to God? And for a long time, I've had the attitude that work is worship. And so when I work, I'm worshiping God. Now there's sometimes I get it a little out of whack and it looks like I'm worshiping work. I wanna Mm. worship God through my work. Um, That's when the workaholic arises in me. But business ownership, God owns everything. So when we practice ownership, we're imitating God. When we do it right, we're really imitating God. Um, productivity god was a protective god he created the entire world in six days right so that's pretty productive it's very productive <laughs> and i'm impressed knowing all the
0: things that we know about
2: the world yeah it's very productive <laughs> and, and,
1: and so you know he, he doesn't expect me to create the world in six days but he does expect me to be productive in my life and so even employing people how did god take care of them how many how many examples did jesus use in his parables where he talked about the servants he talked about Not so much the business owner, a little bit of the business owner, the man who who owned all the property, who gave the talents, but he also talked about the people who worked in those businesses and how there were good owners and there were bad owners. And and so, you know, it's not a, a neutral topic. Jesus spoke about it. The Bible speaks about it. And so that's how Liberty spoke about it. In all of our classes, we tied the Word of God back into every topic we had. And that was all a part
0: of this. And it's so easy to do, especially when you're looking at, if you really honestly want to see the work of industry all throughout the scripture, there are so many examples. It's incredible. All right, Donna, as you were hinting in the book segment, there's nine essential parts of business that this book highlights. Ownership, productivity, employment, commercial transactions, profit, money, inequality of possessions, competition, borrowing, and lending. Which one of these topics, when you read it, was the, the eye-opener? You're like, no, I'd never heard that before.
1: Uh, I think how he tied together um, the concept of productivity. Because in, in the book he talks, and it's on page 26, he talks about how if Adam and Eve went from the garden to our our place here today, what would they think when we turned on the sink and water came out? What would they think when you open up a refrigerator and all the food they grow in the garden is there? Um, what would they think, you know, if we got in the vehicle and it moved on its own to go someplace? They would be giving glory to God.
0: Well, let's try the picture a little bit because I, I loved that picture that he drew up. Because when you when you think about it, Adam and Eve were told, hey, go cultivate the earth. They had no idea what was inside the earth. Right. If Adam and Eve came back today, six, six and a half thousand years later, they would know because God told them everything that's here was here. It's just in a different form than it was in before. (laughs) We've cultivated it. So they would know that every highway, all these buildings, the cars, I mean, everything has come from something that was there the day the earth was created.
1: Exactly. And so I think that was one of the things that just really dawned on me that you know, we look at it from having been exposed to it all of our lives. But what about this? The, somebody who their original exposure was God saying, go do this. And so on oh, the people just think about their th- I'm just thinking about the traffic. What would they think of of traffic
0: and bridges over the bay? Or I mean, I, just, I mean, I just can't imagine.
1: Yeah. And so then you look at at what Gruden says in here, uh, Grudem says in here that, that you know, we're that they would give glory to God. He He gave you resources to be able to have running water in your house. He gave you resources to be able to preserve food so it didn't rot the day you picked it off the tree. He He gave you this. And so I think that that was one of the things that just really dawned on me, that our productivity out of the resources that God gives us is, is what most astounds me. And because I take it for granted, I take for granted that, all the stuff that was around me. Right. Not that I have to work for it or anything like that, but I take for granted that it exists. Mm-hmm. But what about the person who's never been exposed to it? They would rightly give praise to God.
0: And, and I, I love that. And to me, out of those nine different essential parts of business, so his perspective on borrowing and lending, because I, uh, Martha and I went through crown financial ministries 20 years ago. And is it really 20 years ago? Yeah, it's almost 20 years ago. Yeah, pretty close. And, and just learned that, okay, all debt is bad. Debt is bad. Debt is bad. Yet in the context of business, some debt is sometimes necessary. Uh, Psalms uh, 112 verse five. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. So he's talking about, he's not saying bad is a person who lends money. No, God is saying, Hey, it's, it's an okay thing. In fact, in the parable of the talents, Jesus said uh, that to the wicked servant, hey, why then did you not put my money in the bank? It, it, am I coming? I might have at least gotten interest,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is the interest comes from borrowing and lending. That's how banks make money. It seems to me, therefore, Wayne Grudem says that borrowing and lending in themselves are not prohibited by God. For many places in the Bible, assume that these things just happen.
1: Exactly.
2: You know, it made me think about the fact that we've talked before, we've had organizations on that it is their ministry to make use of the savings that people have um, in their own inheritance, in their um, organizations, whatever it might be. And the fact that instead of that money sitting there doing nothing, it can be being used to grow the kingdom in one sense or another, whether it is just the use of that money like you're talking about here, through borrowing or actual giving of that money. But either way, you're helping something rather than hiding it in your mattress and no one having use of that. So I think that's kind of the approach that they're having there, but that just puts it in in terms um, that make sense.
0: Now, Donna, when you were studying for your degree, and this would be one of your degree programs, you go home and, and did you talk to your husband, Bob, about this stuff?
1: Um, actually, no, I didn't, because most of the time I was coming home, he was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> the joys
2: of working full time and going time to school. Every time we <laughs> drove by
1: Donna's office, she was there mm. for the last three and a half
0: years. <laughs> all right, so when you were discussing this book in your classes, and and you had an open, I mean, sometimes you went to class there, but for the most part, it was all remote stuff. Did did you guys have
1: like open discussion forums on the books that you were studying? Uh, It was more done like a blog-type thing. So there was discussion boards. We had requirements of what we were supposed to write in the discussion board, and then we had to reply to what other people had to say. And so the conversations that would go back in that um, really were eye-opening because you could see where some people absolutely had no problem whatsoever with um, borrowing and borrowing to the fullest extent of what your credit limit allows. And then there were others who – they were taking one class at a time because that's all they could afford to pay for was one class at a time, and they refused to go in debt to get a degree. And so you had both ends of that spectrum. And so um, not just on that topic, on every topic. And so when the conversation would go back and forth and you would see this, it was interesting to see how they would justify it by Scripture, their position. and But it really helped to put my thinking in line with, you know what, well, I'm out of whack on this thought. Thought And I need to see what the scripture says about that and align better with scripture.
0: So let's dig into a couple of the, uh, of the pieces of this because of those nine chapters, of course, can't go through all of them, but I want to talk about productivity because productivity, as you mentioned a little bit already, that productivity is honoring to God. The more productive we are, it is a way to glorify God. How do you see that in your, give me your perspective on that because (laughs) it's, well, Because I think productivity really does give God glory, but a lot of us think that, well, if I am a workaholic, I can give God glory because I'm working all the time. Yet there's a certain amount of productivity that becomes negative. How did you see productivity as a way for the glory of God?
1: Well, I see it first mentioned when he talks about subduing the earth. So in Genesis 128, God tells Adam and Eve, subdue the earth. And that is being productive. So it's starting to move those processes around. And so, he took time to rest, and he recognized the end of the day and the start of the day. In as an image bearer, I need to recognize the start of the day, the end of the day, and I need to take time to rest. And I, and in doing my productivity, I need to also find a way to find a way to start the day and end my day. And doing it all to what he wants us to do. Um, productivity looks different for every type of business and for every type of job. Um, I, I'm not the accountant at our office, and we all praise God for that, And uh, she, but she's very good about staying on top of all the details and making sure things are going well, and her productivity looks drastically different than my productivity, where my productivity looks, looks different than my boss's productivity. And so um, making sure that we measure it by what needs to be done. So What's the end result and what will help us get to the end result?
0: Well, and there's so many things we look at, Martha. We look at productivity. We look at the things that have been produced that are a blessing to other people. uh, And we've already talked about what we think Adam and Eve would say of how we cultivated the earth. But I think as a productivity blessing to other people, you know, just the fact that somebody figured out how to make shoes.
2: You like that, don't you? It's good for you. (laughs) Well, I just
0: figured that (laughs) I know you don't have as many pairs of shoes as Imelda Marcos I know you don't and people now are going who is Imelda Marcos that's fine if you don't know look it up why do you think God would be impressed with the productivity that produced shoes
2: well, because there's, I mean, you just think about it, of course, in, in Florida, all we really need is flip-flops, really. Let's talk about that, except for a couple days in the winter when, you know, you need to cover those toes. But there are a lot of places where um, you can't, you couldn't leave your home if you did not have protection for your feet, either from the heat or the cold or the terrain, right. if you're in the desert or the mountains. And so the, the productivity for that person, because they have shoes, is great and so the person who invented them, created them, and then of course added beauty to them is a wonderful thing. But they so therefore there and comfort. You have air soles and you have gel in your shoes. You think about all those things that relieve the pain, so that you can be more productive. So what? So are it's the, a big perpetuation.
0: What are the and and having shoes prevents disease.
2: Yes. Yes. I mean that's something
0: that people don't yeah, think about. Yeah. So
2: let's talk about the airport when we all have to take them off. <laughs> I don't like that. I, I, I'm all for it's security. A stupid shoe bomber. I'm, I'm, it's his fault. It's the, shoe security, bombers fault. it's the shoe bomber's fault. He hadn't tried to light
0: his shoes. We will all still be able to it's wear the our whole shoes. It's
2: disease at the airport thing. I'm concerned about. Wear socks.
1: I do.
0: Not <laughs> often. All right. So, but Donna, what are some of the dangers of productivity?
1: Too much. Overproductivity. Um, I jokingly tell people I'm not really a workaholic because I don't fit the clinical definition of that disorder.
0: But she's really close.
1: Um, but it, like I had mentioned earlier, work is worship but when all we do is work work has become the the idol that we're worshiping. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a matter of pride it produces pride in us when we uh, spend too much time focusing on what we're accomplishing in our productivity it's and it becomes about us and we forget that it's God who's enabled us to do it. Um, he's not getting the glory we're getting the glory and that's what we're going to be judged upon. So let's let's sneak
0: over to profit. Ken is profit really? Producing a profit really a way
1: to glorify God. I know. Uh, what, I know what Wayne says. What do you say? I, I agree because I mean, you look at the um, parable of the talents. The the master praised the one who doubled his talents, and the one who didn't make a profit, he cursed. We just talked about that. He he, he said, "You're a wicked servant." And so, um, making a profit appears to be something that God ex- expects of us. Well, and
0: you use the wicked servant that that guy. He didn't just return to the owner what he the owner had given him, because that money that the owner had given him all those years prior was now worth less than it was all those years prior. So he actually lost him money as opposed to doubling him money. Go ahead, Martha.
2: So I think it really, a lot of that conversation boils around to what you're doing with the profit. If you are um, the owner owner of something and it becomes very profitable and all you're doing is consuming more for your own pleasure, then it is wrong. But if you're using it to help others, to further things, to maybe do some more research or maybe to um, give bonus to those who create the productivity and create the profit, then you're doing it for good. And so really it becomes a balance thing because if it's all about consuming, then, then the profit in and of itself becomes very evil. Well and
0: let's just talk about profit really quick as we head out to the break. You know, people in the world would say, Well, you should just do things and you should just break even. Well, if you just break even, there's no money to pay wages. There's no money to to pay anybody. If you just break even and if all and if you're and invest in new products, profit is there to help us to grow and expand. And to try new things. And if you didn't have profits, you wouldn't have a chance to make mistakes. And if you don't have a chance to make mm. mistakes, you're never going to make anything new. And then we'd all still be sitting there wearing kids. Oh, no. So instead Keds of kids are okay, kids are okay. They're mm-hmm. fine. We'll go on to inequality of possessions. Donna, how? This is a tough concept. This is a, and Mr. Grudem in this book says that inequality of possessions is fundamentally good and provides many opportunities for the glory of God. I, I don't get that.
1: I think James two five that he pulls out here really says it best. It says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? He doesn't say if all people in the world. He says if those who are poor. And so he recognizes that there's different levels in that. And he's not condemning that there's different levels. The widow who gave two mites, she was praised for giving what she had out of her out of her small reserves, as opposed to giving out of abundance, and so there's that that inequality that happens in that. And um, in John one, first John, three seventeen, it says, um, "If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how how does God's love abide in him?" And so we have that opportunity that when if we're the one who has more to help somebody else out, if we're the one who hasn't has nothing there's a way for God to bless us in the midst of it. And so taking a look at that in the inequality recognizes that it happens. Even look at um, Cain and Abel. So going back to Genesis, Cain and Abel, they didn't have the same resources to bring to the the altar.
0: One was a farmer,
1: one was a shepherd. Exactly. And God wasn't displeased with the produce that he received. He was displeased with the attitude that he, Mm -hmm. that, that it was given with. And so God expects our attitude to be reflective of our love and passion for him. And what we have doesn't determine that. How we respond to what we have is what determines that.
2: Well,
0: people are arguing, they would argue forever that, you know, it's not fair that you have more than somebody else. Well, there's always somebody that has more than somebody else. There's always somebody that has less than somebody else. There's always somebody, if you're really sick, there's always somebody that's sicker. But Jesus, when you you get that great example at the temple, when the rich people were throwing in out of their abundance and the widow gave out of her scarcity, he didn't say, that's not fair. That's not, he didn't say, that's not fair. Somebody should give her some money. He didn't say that. He was impressed by her level of faith because he knew that, uh, that our heavenly father would take care of him. Take care of that widow.
1: Exactly. And when we give out of our scarcity, what we're saying to God is, I trust you to take care of that $100 I just gave you to meet the needs that my family really has. Well,
0: and a lot of times, you look at those people that typically have more are typically people that are employing people. And they're giving already. I mean, I'm just tired of hearing the criticism. Well, that person's got a business. He should give more. Well, how many employees does he have? Right. How many people does he employ?
2: Right. And he is and he is giving them every hour of the work that they are producing. He is giving out of his worth to pay them for that work.
0: Donna, as you look, just a quick summary on this book, Business for the Glory of God, really just a handbook on just getting a perspective that the um, business is morally fundamentally good. What is what was the biggest takeaway?
1: Biggest takeaway was recognizing that there's no part of business that's neutral. That's the biggest takeaway that everything that we do in business. And it's not just about we praise God for this. It's about Putting to work the resources he provides us with, whether it's talking about profit or ownership or employees or productivity, every bit of it needs to be back to God's glory by by using it the way he he dictates for us to use it.
0: Well, and I would encourage you to get a copy of this book. Uh, email us, jim at com. jim at iwork, the number four, him.com. Get a copy of Business for the Glory of God. Donna Clute, thanks so much for joining Martha and I today. It was great having you in studio.
2: Thank you for having me. Love being here.
0: Hey, as we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, Martha, it's always sad as we come to the end, isn't it?
2: It is. Until next time.
0: Until next time. All right. Take a look at this book. Get one for yourself. Business for the glory of God. Just start to understand the Bible's teaching on the moral goodness of business. Jesus talked about it all the time. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field. But ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him.